Hey everyone, and welcome to the Hashtag Career Goals Podcast. I'm your host, Adelaide Walsh, and each week I interview incredible women on how they crafted their amazing careers. My guest today is Alana Lieber. Alana is the co-founder of jewellery brand Motley. Motley collaborates with some of the world's most talented designers on exclusive pieces at affordable prices. Their vision is to disrupt the jewellery industry through quality, sustainable design and fair pricing for the designer and the customer. Alana started her career as a management consultant working for top consumer and retail brands such as Argos and Innocence. After facing redundancy, she began consulting for startup brands. That's when Cecily, her future co-founder at Motley, reached out with an idea that she knew Alana could help with. In 2018, Alana and Cecily launched Motley and began their journey in disrupting the archaic jewellery industry. Two years later, they have a team of 10 employees, collaborate with multiple designers and have been coined by the Sunday Times as the jewellery holy grail. In this episode, Alana and I discuss her transition from employee to entrepreneur, a role she never envisioned for herself, and how every role will teach you something for your future self. I hope you enjoy this one. Tell me about your school days and what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I went through so many iterations of a career for a while. I think as most kids, I was really into animals and I wanted to be a vet. Um, Then I wanted to be an architect. Um, And then I kind of came to the conclusion that I was going to be a lawyer. Um, And that's kind of if you went to university and did an art subject, it was it was generally kind of assumed um, that that was what you were going to end up. So, yeah, those those definitely not. um, I'd never really thought about business or entrepreneurship. It was going to be law, the nearing towards university. That's what you were aiming to do for sure. Yeah, and not because I was particularly passionate about it, but I don't think I had a very broad understanding of of what was out there. And I think the education that I have lent quite a narrow view as to the kind of jobs that you could do. Um, And I think that I think now young people have a much uh, broader awareness of, of, of all the stuff that you can do and the different routes you can take to get there. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so what did you ultimately end up doing in university? So I studied history, um, which is where I met my business partner. Mm. Um, so, so I guess you could say that the journey started there, uh, but I absolutely loved it. And I felt so grateful being able to do kind of like a further study in a subject that had no obvious practical usage, but something that I was really passionate about and interested in. And I kind of loved um, every minute of it. So yeah, total history nerds at heart, myself and Cecily. Oh, lovely. So you did history in university. What was your first job straight after that? So my first actual job was, um, so I graduated in the middle of the recession. Um, I graduated in 2009 where there were no jobs and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I remember one of my first jobs was um, being a researcher on a program for um, Ian Hisdot about Victorian social reform. That was kind of my first taste of the working world. Um, But over the course of university, I've done a few law vacation schemes and kind of decided it wasn't for me. And at that time, um, a management consultancy firm called Accenture um, had something called 
a new thing they're running called a boot camp, and I didn't really know what management consultancy was, I never thought about it. Um, but this boot camp was, was free, and we went away for a weekend with like 25 other young people, and we were solving strategy questions, and it was brilliant. And there were all these super, super smart people. Um, and at the end, they said, you've got a job. And I said, well, great, went off and did my gap year, um, and then started at Accenture. And very quickly, I kind of realized it had, it had been sold very much as a strategy consultancy. And for those in the know, everyone knew then Accenture was tech, like yeah. a big tech consultancy, but we, we didn't know at the time. So there was a little bit of shock when we first joined, but I managed to kind of get, get into the strategy practice and start working on strategy projects. So um, if, if my first kind of career-based job um, was a management consultancy. How did you feel as a fresh graduate straight into that working world? Accenture is quite like an established big company. I'd, I'd actually really advocate um, going to a large company to start. Um, it's not that just you learn good skills, but you also learn like kind of basic communication stuff, things like managing diaries and um, how to interact with different types of people. But I definitely, I mean, going on a grad program, loads of other young people, lots of fun things. It was, it was great. Yeah, it's, it's like a nice way to start that career ladder. I think the early career years, you start with an unknown or an expectation of what career is going to be like or what you're going to like. And then once you get into it, you start to get, oh, I actually kind of like this industry a bit more or, or I want to explore, you know, the retail industry a bit more. Well, funny enough, I really started in oil and gas. Um, and that was like, I was super interested in oil and gas. Um, but I'm really interested in people and psychology. And I think that consumer consumer products and retail really kind of play like play that out I think to kind of the most extreme degree so yeah I'd been doing consumer projects at at, um, Accenture but Argos um, at the time were running a a, like we're about to start or just had started this five-year transformation project so you know Argos people think of the catalogue and lots and lots of legacy stores and they were kind of transforming to be this this digital physical hybrid Um, and it was a really exciting time to be part of the journey. It was an amazing, amazing team led by um, a brilliant guy called Doug Nesbitt, who I think now is at Holland and Barrett. Um, and all, mostly ex-management consultancies. In fact, I probably learned more about Excel and data modeling from my boss there, who used to be at Bain, than I did at Accenture. Um, mm. And I loved, like, I love retail. I love being out in stores. Um, I just always find working with store managers like so interesting and inspiring and um really really enjoyed the element of it so you did a series of kind of strategy and management consultant roles i noticed for kind of big brands but also for some smaller startup brands what did you learn from those two i guess extremes to be honest because i'd always been in small teams in all those companies I actually didn't feel necessarily the sense of like the, the broader vibes. I think, I think Innocent was incredibly formative for me in terms of like how a business should be run and what good business looks like mm-hmm. um, and how you translate like ethics, not just into a kind of add-on or CSR, but into really genuinely how you do business. Um, and I found it very inspiring and I worked with some of the smartest people I've ever worked with. Um, it's got just this amazing culture that's really, really fun. 
Um, but at that point in my life, I was, I was really obsessed with going up the ladder and this job came up at Itzy that was ahead of, and actually interestingly, like reflecting on it. I mean, if I hadn't taken it, I wouldn't be where I was now. Cause you know, that's how history works. But, um, I, I left for kind of a promotion and a pay rise. Um, and if I'd stayed, that would have probably come to, might have not come at the same pace or quite as much talking to my younger self. I could have just been like, wait a little bit, smell the roses on the journey. Yeah, don't be in so such a rush to jump to the next level just because trying to basically climb the ladder. Absolutely. But the biggest thing is like, I've worked at lots of different types of companies and I feel that that has exposed me to loads of different types of people. And I think that's really helpful when running a business and knowing how, for example, different businesses can be structured and what yeah. type of people fill different roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also super, super helpful. And then I got made redundant from Itsu um, back in October 2017, which is when I started helping my co-founder Cecily with the business plan on Motley. And, um, and then did a kind of, while I was working on that, did um, a freelance thing with Heist. And again, that was a completely different role. Again, I, I kind of did just some special projects. But one of the projects that I did, it was, so, it was setting up like um, an applicant talent management system, like, a, like an actual recruitment process. Yeah. And it's been the most useful thing I've done for, that we, we still, I use exactly the same process in Motley now. No way, and all yeah. of that, I had to kind of teach myself and, and do the research. So um, yeah, learn, learn a huge amount. Yeah, amazing. So it's really diversifying your career in terms of business, I guess, size and also kind of industry as well. Um, to get Absolutely. a full rounded view. Brilliant. Okay, so tell me about Motley. So you mentioned you joined Cecily with the business plan. How did that come about and what is your history? So we met at, at university mm-hmm. and Cecily followed a very different career path to mine. So she went into the art world and first she worked at Christie's and their valuations team. And then she ended up being director of a quite a niche gallery, but very, very relevant to the story that follows. So it was called, it is called the Louisa Guinness Gallery. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it works with very well-known contemporary artists like Anish Kapoor and Jeff Koons and makes limited editions of jewellery and then sells those to art collectors for kind of thousands of pounds. And while she was there, she noticed a huge contemporary engagement in these designs but like obviously complete inability to afford them and and kind of notice that although there's lots and lots of jewelry brands out there they are either very kind of they are either very samey or they're very expensive and sometimes they're samey and expensive Um, and the quality is very inconsistent so you know trying to get great design well made affordably priced was was now impossible so, and that she started to realize was actually to do with structural issues in the jewelry market. So okay. to get the best design, you need to find the best designers. Now, the really good designers who would say go to Central St. Martins have a uniquely difficult lot of it. So say you're an artist, your way to make money is not easy, but it's obvious. You go to, you go, you'll graduate from art school and you'll find a gallery and they sell your work for you. But to be a jewellery designer, you're expected to run your own business. So first of all, that requires uh, business and marketing knowledge that you might have, but you might not have, and you might also not want. And the other thing it requires is capital because you need money to buy stock. Yeah. So what this means is some of the most talented designers all work in fine jewellery 
where because the stuff that takes the time is the actual like the making and the production, you might as well sell in gold and precious metals to make a living. But what that means for the market is that the best designers are only available to very few. So Cecily okay. started cogitating on this model where you'd get these really talented designers to design for us. Then we'd make their pieces in silver and in vermeil, which is silver coated in a certain thickness of gold. So that's precious metals, but nowhere near as expensive as solid gold would be. And, um, and make it for them and distribute it um, as a brand, as Motley. So we're, we're odd. We're not a pure brand. We're not a pure marketplace. We're kind of a hybrid brand marketplace. Um, okay, yeah. And I, I was, when I got made redundant, I just started helping Cecily with a business plan, actually, and just got more and more interested. And by March that year, the next year, had decided, Cecily was working full time on this by this point, had, just, had definitely agreed to come on board. And then in July, um, I joined her full time. And then in October 2018, we closed our first investment round and, and launched a business in the same week. Wow, amazing. Yeah. What a great stressful. story. I know, I can imagine. <laughs> those early days, what was the feeling, like the reality of those kind of early days? Oh, so, so bleak. Um, so first of all, <laughs> the way that our business works is um, it, it, because it is addressing a capital issue in the market, it yeah. needs capital. So we knew we'd have to raise money. And raising money as two women for a jewellery business is not great fun um, and it's because you're raising money from angels who are predominantly a certain demographic and their association of jewelry is their wife might be a jewelry designer they see it as hobby almost hobbyists or like you know a kind of kitchen economy and what we were yeah. saying is no we want to disrupt Gifting. a 400 billion dollar industry that no one has disrupted because everyone keeps doing it the same so fundraising was really really tricky um, plus, obviously, you have no idea what you're doing when you first start a business. Um, and Cecily and I were also like working together for the first time. So spending a lot of, of time thinking about our relationship and how we interact with each other and um, yeah. all of that was who does what? Uh, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the who does what actually felt relatively easy into our skill sets with a little bit of overlap. Um, but actually more around how we communicate. I've come from incredibly structured backgrounds um, with lots of kind of training, formal training. And Cecily had kind of come from a much more informal background. So working out kind of meeting in the middle was, was a really like, important learning as well for the first year. Um, but it was very exciting when people got the product in their hands and were like, wow, this is amazing and I love it. And that was all very exciting. Getting that capital was probably the biggest challenge as you just mentioned. How would you identify the angels, investors that were appropriate? And how did you find you eventually got through to them? It's so hard. I remember at one point just saying to Cecily, do we just Google like investors? Yeah. Um, our first two were through a university connection of Cecily's that introduced us to them. And they came in on very small tickets. And then um, one of the funniest ones, and again, it shows just like how you never know how people are going to come back into your life, was when I worked for Argos, there was a startup, an, a receipts, an, an electronic receipt startup. And one of my projects was to work with a startup to deploy it. And I, and the, the founder was a guy called Andrew. And um, at this point of like desperation, not knowing how to raise money and not really know what, you know, how, what we would do next. I saw recently that Andrew changed his business name on LinkedIn and I thought, oh, that must mean he's sold and he might know some investors. So I went and had a chat to him and 
um, not only did he decide to invest himself, but he brought along three of his investors with him. Brilliant. So by completely, I think the kind of the big tip for anyone is just be completely shameless in asking for money. Anyone you know, just, just you, you have to be, um, because it can come from really surprising places. Yeah. Um, I think what really helped us accelerate though was two things. First of all, two direct consumer founders invested, um, uh, Tamor Atagechi from Papier and Aaron Gelbard from Bloom and Wild. And I think that made other people feel more confident in their decisions. And I think um, once we had the physical product and the packaging and the website up and running, it was much easier for people to understand it and understand the vision. Amazing. Um, yeah. I think those two things made a big difference. How did you execute it? So Copto was the first thing to do. What was the next step and how did you establish that customers are interested? This is worth us going fully dedicated. So we actually did a little, Cecily did a little trial run back in June with kind of friends and family. Um, and we started a lot with Facebook marketing, but just also so much personal hustling, you know, literally speaking to people, going to Christmas fairs, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, trying to work out how Facebook marketing worked. I, it was, that was a, yeah, a kind of a, a big learning curve. And we just turned down money at that stage from a venture fund. Um, and that venture fund would have given us a lot of that practical help. And we did think at the time, oh God, have we made a really bad mistake? But actually I think it was definitely the right decision. It was too early for us to take venture money. Though those were kind of the earliest, the earliest memories. And then as we kind of refined and we got better, um, and then we got a, a very bad digital agency and then we got a very good digital agency who we've kind of grown with. Um, and they've really helped us refine kind of our acquisition strategy. Yeah, amazing. So jewelry is obviously a super competitive market. What do you think the importance is of like finding your niche and the importance of having your own voice and branding? So I think for us, the challenge is, is like, it's very competitive and yet there's nothing we believe that offers this design quality price yeah. triad, but people don't always know that they don't have it. So it's about educating on the, like, on the USP and like why our stuff is so different. But I think what was also very important for us is like we looked at so many jewellery brands and they all looked the same, these kind of like beigey colours. And we wanted something that was bold and bright and strong. And like we work with a diversity of designers, you know, we have very different styles. So we wanted to make sure that like the models we worked with were like very different and diverse themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so that was very clear to kind of our brand identity from the start. Yeah, so it's super important to maintain that. So you stand out in the market, really. Exactly. So what has the transition from being an employee to a founder been like? <laughs> that is so interesting because it feels so long ago now. So I think Cecily and I are really different in that Cecily always knew that she wanted to start her own business. Whereas I would knew that I would never come up with the idea. But if someone had an idea, I think that I could like help them make it a reality well. And I have had really brilliant management at points in my life. So I've never like struggled being an employer, employee, so to speak, um, in the way that many people are like, I just don't like having bosses. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I love about it is that we can set our own core value system. Because even though I've worked at places with brilliant values, 
they're never exactly what you would want or hope them to be. So I think that is really exciting. Um, I think running a business with someone is really different than running it by yourself. So I think that that kind of has eased the transition. Um, occasionally I've missed like not having the emotional labor of making all the decisions can be quite exhausting. And I've missed like senior people the go-to sometimes. Yeah, I think, I think the culture, setting the culture is probably the biggest thing. Yeah, making your own rules and your own organization to be true to your own values. Absolutely. So working with Cecily, so obviously she was kind of a close friend. You had a history. You mentioned there a bit about communication, kind of understanding that. How have you managed to perfect that relationship and what is important when going to business with a friend or a sibling or someone very close to you? So... I think although Cecily and I were like good friends, we weren't best of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that is, is important context. We spent so much time up front. We have a formal like co-founders agreement. Um, and we spent so much time and effort working on our relationship. Um, a feedback culture was always going to be really super important from the start and understanding how each other works. And I think we've really grown together. Um, within the organization which is great we had a lot of um, co-founder horror stories but actually they seem to come down to like a few things the first was around um, not having a shared vision and I think Sassy and I have a shared vision the second is around someone like it feeling unfairly like unfair amounts of, of work and it's actually quite interesting through the first year we both went through phases where one of us was probably had more on their plate than the other whereas now it feels like a pretty equal balance um I think the ability to like really laugh together you have some pretty major crises um when starting a business like because you haven't done stuff before the things that can go wrong go really wrong yeah someone that can just burst out laughing and say well let's crack open a bottle of wine and you know um so I think all, all those things um really help and I think the other thing is that I think a lot of people start a business with someone that they know from a previous life, which means they're quite similar. And I think Sassy and I have really differing backgrounds. And I think that makes a really positive impact on our business. Yeah, those different personalities and like different skill sets will always kind of be. Exactly. So they can complement each other. Yeah. So have you ever, you know, have a moment of what is plan B? Do we need a plan B? I think that in the very early doors, you don't want to get too emotionally or you can't help it. But like, it's so vulnerable um, that you you can't get too attached. I think now, you know, having raised um, venture money and a bigger round and also everything stabilizing, like we now have a a system that, you know, when we put money into into marketing, money comes out. So we know how that works. And I think that makes everything a lot more comfortable and stable so those moments are fewer um we both hate fundraising i think most founders do i think it's it's a few reasons um i think it's not related to running a business you you know how good you are at fundraising in fact i know people who are self-confessed brilliant at fundraising um but not as good as kind of executional and both of us really enjoy running the business so i think for us it feels like it distracts time i think there's a lot of pre- like it covers a lot of prejudice that feels quite exhausting at points. And the other thing is you, you've devoted your whole life to this. And what they're saying is, is, is when they say no, is you're wasting your time. And I think that is also quite exhausting. So, um, yeah, I think the, 
the downs are a lot kind of fewer um, in the second year. But I, as I said, it's because we've been allowed to kind of get on and run our business for a while and like going into fundraising again and not looking forward to that. Yeah. So kind of having that resilience and I guess really believing in your, in your business to keep going. Yeah, exactly. So what has been the biggest thing you've learned about yourself? I'd, I would always say oh, I'm not an entrepreneur. And I really don't like that word, but I totally am. Like, yeah. actually, I love going and like cold calling and hustling people. Um, I, yeah, so I think that, uh, well, and, and like the proofs in the pudding, I think the biggest change that I have is I really have no long-term plans and now not not at all a lot I used to be such a like okay I need to do this and x years this and I I've got like the future is just kind of something blurry to me and it's something I don't really think about that often yeah you're so gonna, I think that's a big difference you're kind of living in the moment almost obviously preparing but yeah and I think you yeah. have to because everything can be a bit uncertain and unstable and I think it makes you much e- more able to kind of ride the waves um we got yeah. great advice once, like, don't take the highs too high and don't take the lows too low. And I think that's really helpful. Yeah, I think it's like super important to kind of learn from your mistakes or kind of, um, you know, what's for you will not pass you. Um, those, kind of, those kind of mindsets, I guess. Absolutely. So in terms of creating relationships, so obviously you work with designers and, you know, relationships with your customer. What is your thought around that networking element and how should you put yourself out there to achieve those? I think from a designer perspective, um, it's a highly networked community. Um, so Cecily's, one of Cecily's first designers was Sean Evans, who was head of jewellery at Central St. Martins. And she introduced her to a lot of other designers. And I think that, you know, that, that has really helped and has grown the network it will be really interesting how we scale that internationally. Um, but we always find that referrals make, make the best kind of partners to work with. Um, so yeah, very much on like a networked basis. So what has been your biggest challenge in your career for you personally? I would say uh, retaining positivity. Mm-hmm. I was always, I, I would say like my biggest personal challenge, or I think one that I've like worked on most was like, always like not enjoying the positives of the moment and always thinking this should be better this should be better I should be here so I think that biggest challenge is like yeah learning genuinely learning to appreciate the moment I think um I think the biggest challenge at Motley was like learning so much stuff as a new like yeah I'm, I'm in my early 30s and I haven't learned so many new things in a really long time most of the stuff I've been learning in my career has been building on stuff I previously know so like starting from scratch and loads of things was like quite um mentally exhausting so I'd say that was a pretty big challenge so you mentioned that you were a perfectionist or you know this could be better like never quite satisfied with the work you've done what kind of uh, methods have you put in place to try and tackle that yeah I think telling people that you need praise I told this to, and one of my direct reports, um, she, she gave me some positive feedback and I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like you don't, I think that's the other thing about going from an employee to a founder is you don't get much praise. Like as an employee, you do get quite a lot of praise, but like you don't, you know, it is normally like when things go wrong. So I think that that is, yeah, that was a real help. Yeah. And I think like you learning. want that feedback. Yeah. 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 And just make keeping sure that you make space for the things that make your mind happy. So if that's like reading a book or doing yeah. exercise or whatever you do. Um, yeah. Super important. 
Um, what has been your biggest personal success? I think the business. Mm. Um, I, I'm really so proud of what we've done. We were in the Sunday Times a few weeks ago and it was wow. so exciting Congratulations. to see our vision articulated um, so clearly. So even if, you know, say we can't raise money or say it dies, I think I will be really, really proud of what we've achieved. Yeah, it's amazing. And I guess you can, like, it's incredible to think that like, oh, I wanted to be a lawyer and then I was an Accenture and then, you know, X amount of years later, you're running your own business. Um, you know, yeah, it's cool. That, that has a real, when you put it like that. Yeah, amazing. I like you would never would have thought at the time, you know. What is the one piece of advice that you give someone in their career? If you can be someone that accepts feedback really well, you will thrive. And you being able to hear feedback from all sources. And I think the biggest thing, and it's so hard to do, but seeing every piece of feedback, even if the person that it's coming from, you don't respect or you completely disagree with it, there will be a nugget of truth in there. And I think if you can do that, I think that that is a really helpful thing to kind of take you on the journey. Yeah. So take the criticism and the positive as well. Absolutely. Um, okay, cool. So I have some recommendations that I would like to hear from you. So what is your favorite book or a book that changed your life or inspired you? Beauty product and favorite restaurant in London? Okay, book is so hard because there are so many that I love. I would take my favorite author is David Mitchell, okay. um, who wrote books like The Thousand Autumns of Jacob de Zoot and um, Cloud Atlas. But I love all of his books. I think he's wonderful. From a classics, like I love The Master and Margarita, but I basically I could go on on this yeah. forever. Um, my favorite book I've read this year is Girl, Woman, Other. Oh, yeah. The Bernadine Evaristo book. My colleague is laughing at me right now, and I'm not quite sure why. She disagrees. She doesn't like it. Um, <laughs> I, lo I loved it. Um, I was very resentful of business books. <laughs> I used to find nonfiction very boring to read. Um, but I found a few super helpful. Um, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team is really, really brilliant book. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed Shoe Dog. Um, yeah, I've just Scott finished Bell's that. Oh, it's yeah. oh, what a great story. I, yeah, I had no story. idea. I had no idea the background and like, and it's super amazing. I know. Yeah. It's a really, and he really gets knocked back so many times. Oh my God. Yeah. Very powerful narrative. Yeah. It's um, and then the final one, which is not laid out very helpfully is, is by a guy called Scott Belsky and it's called The Messy Middle and it's just very physically a big book and I, I don't really do Kindle. So um, that's a challenge, but what it talks about is like, especially in the startup world, you have these intense highs kind of at the beginning and the end. So it might be a fundraise, it might be a sale, but most of the time you're just navigating this messy middle. And I think he talks, he's super helpful, talks about it really interestingly. So that's my business book. Um, and then the Guardian live blog on coronavirus, just to get a regular update on what's going on. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, I am the worst person at beauty products. I, if I wash my face on a daily basis, that's a good thing. So no. I am definitely, yeah, I, I really don't fit in in this world of kind of fashion and um, <laughs> jewelry. Um, I would say that I have worn the same mascara for the last 10 years. It's done me very well, which is the Chanel in Inimitable, the waterproof one. Oh, yeah. Chanel's so, great. Yeah. So that, that I would say I'm loyal to, but I am not like a skincare expert mm. in the slightest. Um, although I did buy a toner for the first time from Ren and it's lovely. Ren um, is good. Ren so, is good. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I, I yeah I'm not your gal if you want beauty recommendations okay. food on the other hand it's <laughs> probably my favorite thing to discuss and talk about and I'm so sad everything is shut I know um, I know counting down the day so my favorite restaurant in London was the typing room which was in Bethnal Green Town Hall and it was mm. absolutely brilliant um it closed down a year or so ago um my other favorites I would say are so Padella and Trillo they're owned by the same people one's in Borough one's a slightly posher restaurant in Highbury um amazing Italian brilliant pasta I, I yes Padella works. with the cues around yeah but there's a way to have, don't worry there is a way to hack the system um I love El Pastor in borough market um again uh you need to watch out for the queues but um i think that's brilliant and then the best brunch in london is a neighborhood restaurant called sunday in the caledonian road area and it's a pain to google because you just google sunday brunch and then you're like this is not the search results that i wanted but they by far do the best breakfast in london i've never been able to find anyone that beats them no way what's your order oh this is the thing like different things different. every time like they do an amazing jalapeno cornbreads oh yeah such good french toast oh so they're a bit different they're, yeah yeah they're super they're really creative yeah a bit of that aussie brunch style kind of thing so. exactly great coffee as well so hopefully when they reopen i will be heading straight there oh brilliant i must must give that one a try thank you so much alana it's been amazing really really thank insightful. you thank you so um, much thank you for inviting me